Psalms 91. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalms chapter 91. That's where we're going to be at this morning. I felt like this text, which has been encouraging to me even during this time, um, I felt would be encouraging to you. It's not always a pastor gets to pastor through a pandemic. And so it's been a little heavy. I've been, I've been in conversations with several of my pastor friends and how to handle this situation and where to go forward with this. And I mean, even the, the decision of whether, whether to cancel or to continue was weighty I'm trying to figure out what to do, what would be best for you guys. And so Psalms 91, uh, has been encouraging to me this week. So I thought, let's tackle it. So if you will stand with me, we'll read Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me, in love I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for your word. Especially in times of trouble and uncertainty, we are thankful to be reminded of the truth that you have, of the promises you have for us. So God, help us this morning as we seek to understand what those are. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> In the fall of 1854, London had undergone a cholera outbreak. Charles Spurgeon was pastoring the New York Street pulpit at this time, and he was pastoring a people through this epidemic. He made sure to continue meeting for worship if possible. He even continued visiting the sick and the dying during this time as well. Now, I want you to hear something as... As I read it, it's something that he wrote because uh, because of something that he read. And it's how Psalm 91 encouraged him during this trying time. This is what he says. At first, this is Spurgeon. At first, I gave myself up 
with youthful ardor to the visitation of the sick, and was sent for from all corners of the district by persons of all ranks and religions. But soon I became weary in body and sick at heart. My friends seemed falling one by one, and I felt or fancied, fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have laid me low among the rest. I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear, and I was ready to sink under it. I was returning mournfully home from a funeral, when as God would have it, my curiosity led me to read a paper which was wafered up in a shoemaker's window in the Great Dover Road. It did not look like a trade announcement, nor was it, for it bore in a good bold handwriting these words. Check out these words. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. This is Spurgeon. He says, The effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt with immortality. I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to place those verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledge. And in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. So the passage that Spurgeon read in the window was from Psalm 91. In a time when he was wrestling and he was struggling as he was pastoring a people during an epidemic, people who were getting sick and the weight that he was feeling underneath that, he read this passage and he was refreshed. He's encouraged by this passage of Scripture, not because, listen, not because it promises Christians won't suffer, because that's not the case. Instead, it promises that our security as believers rests not in the hands of man, but in the sovereignty of God. You hear what I'm saying this morning? Uh, somebody here at church was telling me of uh, having a conversation with somebody this week. Um, uh, it's actually one of our one of our deacons. He was having a conversation with somebody, and um, uh, I had made mention to this deacon that I was preaching on Psalm 91 that we were going to look at and, and still have service that we were going to look at how we can trust in God during this prompt during this problem. And the guy responded with a, you know, a remark such as, so you're basically saying like we should hold up snakes and go ahead and let them bite us and then we can trust in God with that. No, that's, we're not a snake handling church. We don't do that. And I'm not saying here that we shouldn't take any precautions. I'm saying here that our trust is not in those precautions. Our trust is not in the hands of man. Our trust is solely in the sovereignty of God. But even the sovereignty of God has established people who are smarter than we are to tell us how to take precautionary methods, which we have done. So we are to be encouraged because what we are struggling with today, with this situation, it's a time of renewing our trust in the one who is our refuge. And that's what Psalms 91 is showing us. And here's the theme for today. I know I changed the bulletins a little bit. I just gave you a bunch of lines. 
That's because it helps the one who's doing the bulletin to print the bulletin. Allie, it helps you out. So the lines are for you to write it down. So here's the theme, the the main idea for you to have this morning. This is what I want you to walk away with, all right? God is a refuge to those who trust in Him. That's simple. God is a refuge to those who trust in Him. So Psalms 91 is showing us. God is a refuge. Here in Psalm 91, the author shows us. Now, we aren't sure who the author is, who, who, who the psalmist is. Now, it could be the psalm of David. It could even be a psalm of Moses because Psalm 90 was a psalm of Moses. But we're not sure. We're not going to go into those details because, honestly, either case is pretty solid. But let's take a look at, the, at, at this word this morning and see how it can be encouraging for us today. Okay? So Psalms 91. Let's break it down. If God is a refuge to those who trust in Him, what does that mean? How does that look? Let's take a look at first the posture of the believer. So your first, your first thing, we're going to look at the posture of the believer. Look at verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The posture of the believer first is one who draws near to God. The believer draws near to God. Spurgeon used an illustration as a friend who walks so close, which we're not allowed to do here, six feet distance, right? But a friend who walks so close to someone that his shadow falls on him. But you can't expect to have this shadow unless you are close to them. I remember being at Carowinds one time and it was so hot. And Jaden uh, was probably three or four at this time. We were about to jump on what was once the Scooby-Doo ride. It's no longer the Scooby-Doo ride. It's something else. But we jumped on this virtue, you know, this little laser game. And we were, and he was standing in line and he was just hot. And so I kept telling him, stand close to me, get under my shadow. You'll find at least a little bit of comfort. Not really. It was so hot that day. But with God, in order for us to have this shadow, in order for us to be under his shadow... We have to be close to Him. We have to draw near to Him. Song of Solomon 2.3, it says, With great delight I sat in His shadow. We see this relationship between a man and, and his wife, and, and, and with great delight she sat in His shadow. And that is where our delight comes from as well, is when we sit in the shadow of our Father. We all like shade on a warm day, right? It was nice yesterday. We had a bonfire. We get to sit outside. We roasted marshmallows and hot dogs and had a good time. And when it, when it was shaded, it felt the best because you could feel that cool breeze kind of coming through. We all like shade on a warm day. But there must be nearness, a closeness, this intimacy between us and God in order for us to have that shadow. James 4, 7 through 8, which honestly is a good word for today. You've probably seen it on Facebook, people taking it way out of context. But James 4.8 tells us, wash your hands, you sinners. Understand, James is not talking about soap and water here. Taken out of context. But it's about pure purification. But look at what James 4.7 says. James 4.7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4.8, draw near to God. 
and he will draw near to you. There's a drawing near to God that provides security in times of trouble. Like a father with his child. There's a security there. And in order to be under his shadow, in order to have shelter that he provides, there is a drawing near to him. Secondly, not only is, not only does the believer draw near to God, the believer dwells in God. He not only draws near to him, he dwells in him. His living place, his home is in God. Look again at verse one. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. Psalm 91 tells us, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Before Israel went into the wilderness without a home, they had a home. And as, as Israel went through the wilderness, homeless, they had a home. It was in God. God was their dwelling place. So let me ask you, let me go ahead and, and get down and real with you this morning. Is your home with God or are you just the roommate that's never there? Do you dwell in God? Do you draw near to Him? We need to understand that for God to be our security, Spurgeon tells us that. Listen to what Spurgeon says. Again, the blessings here promised are not for all believers, but for those who live in close fellowship with God. Every child of God looks towards the inner sanctuary and the mercy seat Yet all do not dwell in the most holy place. They run to it at times and enjoy occasional approaches, but they do not habitually reside in the mysterious presence. Isn't it crazy that these blessings of security, these blessings of refuge, through day-to-day circumstances are only for those who are in close fellowship with God? Why is that? That sounds, sounds almost legalistic. If you're not praying enough, if you're not reading your Bible enough, if you're not going to church enough, these blessings are not for you. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that those who live in close fellowship with God, they already know the promises of God. They already know what God can do. They already have experienced what God can do. That even when pandemics happen and when family members get sick with whatever illness and when when friends lose their jobs and when we encounter the hardest and most difficult of days, those who live in close fellowship with God know that God never leaves them nor forsakes them. They know that God is ever present. They know that God works out all things for their good and for God's glory. They know that no matter what comes their way, no amount of suffering compares to the amount of glory that we will encounter when we finally get to heaven and see Jesus face to face. They know these things. They bleed these things. That's the posture of the believer. One who draws near to God. One who dwells in God. Now we must understand this too, church, that this is only possible The drawing near to God, the dwelling in God, the security God provides, this is only possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. We cannot draw near to God because of our sin and shame. God is a holy God. He can't be a part of that. 
But because of Christ's work on the cross, by destroying the power of sin and death, we can now freely draw near to God and dwell in God. Those who place their trust in Christ can do this. Those who confess that He is Lord and believe that, 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 that they are the ones who will be saved. And they are the ones who will be brought to the Father. This is the posture of a believer. I know I'm running out of time. Don't look at your watch. But if God is a refuge for those who trust in Him, we have seen the posture of the believer, but those who trust in Him, we can also see the protection of the Lord. Number two, the second thing here in Psalm 91, we see the posture of the believer, and secondly, the protection of the Lord. Look at verse 3. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence, He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Now, as we read this, it sounds like, man, this sounds like a pretty good deal. If I believe in God, I'm not going to have to deal with pestilence. I'm not going to have to deal with random arrows being shot at me. I'm not going to have to deal with death and suffering. That's not what this is showing us. Let me be clear with that. This is not showing us that believers will never get sick. This is not showing us that believers will never get hurt or will never suffer. What it is showing us, what the psalmist is trying to portray here, is that God's protection is not from suffering, but from being overcome by suffering. His protection for us is not protection from suffering, but from being overcome by that suffering. Because, I mean, this this psalmist wrote it to the people of Israel, whether it was Moses or David, depending on whichever time. These people know, as they're going to see eventually... That their disobedience and their unfaithfulness to God is bringing about all these things. They will encounter plagues. They will encounter being overcome by enemies. They will encounter so many trials. If you're doing your reading plan through the year, you're probably already seeing it. But what we can understand post-cross, post-resurrection, Christ promises us that as believers, we will suffer in this world. We will have hard times. We will get sick. We will eventually die. Christ promises us that. But what He also promises us is that if we trust in in Him, if we put our faith and trust in Christ, God will be ever-present with us. He will never leave us. And, 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 check this out. I want you to look at verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Christ's hold of us makes it to where nothing can snatch us out of His hand. He tells us that. Nothing can. Nothing can take us from the hold of God. 
Romans 8 shows us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing at all. People can't. Things can't. Illnesses can't. If we are truly in Christ, we are held by Christ. And our salvation is not based on our hold of God, but on God's hold of us. Understand that. That the protection that God provides is a protection for eternal security. Is a protection that nothing, nothing will be able to throw you into the depths of hell. Because I have a hold on you. And you will have eternal life with me. Church, that is the, that's the thing we should fear. We have sickness going around. And I know you can either say the coronavirus is being blown up or, 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 or the flu is a more, you know, much more of a, of, of a problem. Whatever. Whatever you want to say this morning, understand this, that there's a greater sickness that we're struggling with. That's the sickness of sin. And it's because of that sickness of sin that we deserve the very depths of hell. It is because that sickness of sin that we struggle with day in and day out. That we deserve judgment from God. But because we have put our faith and trust in God and because of the works of Christ on the cross and because he has called us to him and draws us near to him. And because he is the one that has done all the work. He has his hands on us. So what does that mean for us in a time where we're dealing with the pandemic? What that means is that there's greater things in this world than the coronavirus. And what that means is that we serve a bigger God than any illness that may come this way. And I'm not just talking about coronavirus. I'm not just talking about flu. I'm talking about cancer. I'm talking about death. God is bigger than that. He's sovereign. We don't have to fear. People are panicking. Went to Walmart the other day because we were on our last roll of toilet paper. Guys, I didn't go to Walmart to buy toilet paper because we're panicking. I started panicking because we didn't have any toilet paper. I told a friend of mine that we, we, we canceled the fellowship time during service, not because of the coronavirus. We canceled it because nobody has toilet paper. I'm not shaking your hand. But we've seen people panic. <laughs> and it's crazy. People are panicking over toilet paper. I mean, that's just, in my mind, is ridiculous. But we've seen panic. We've seen fear. The church, as believers... We don't have to do that. We don't. Because God will deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover us with his pinions and under his wings we will find refuge. He is faithful to us as a shield and a buckler. And we will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. In other words, we will not fear the daily battles that we encounter, the daily troubles and circumstances. Why? Because God is a bigger God. 
Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Again, hear me say, this is not saying you as a believer are safe from being sick. People in here know that is not true. But what it does say is that sickness will not overcome us. That God is still bigger. Look at verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. I love this. In God's protection, he gives us his angels. Now, I don't want to go into, do we have a guardian angel? I don't believe that. I don't believe we each have an individual guardian angel because here's something greater. He gives his, his, all of his angels commands, all of them to guard us in all our ways. That's, I'd rather have that than one guardian angel. I want all the angels. You know what I'm saying? He commands all of them to guard us. And I love verse 12. Why do I love verse 12? Satan quotes verse 12. In Matthew 4, when he tempts Jesus in the wilderness, he used Psalm 91.12 here. And Jesus does not succumb to that temptation. Satan tells him, why don't you throw yourself off of this pillar here? Because it says that your angels will, concerning you, they will guard you and they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus says, no. And Jesus quotes scripture back at him and he says, you shall not test the Lord your God. But understand that that's not what Jesus is basically saying here. Jesus is basically saying, I don't have to prove that God will be faithful. I don't have to do that because I already know that God is faithful. I don't have to test my father because I already know that he's there for me. I already know that he will protect me and guard me. That's what Jesus was saying. In church, we can say the same thing. Verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the adder. This is what Jesus ends up doing. Jesus, tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Jesus accomplished that. Because of his victory, we now can overcome. Why? Because God working through us. There's no need to fear. Because of God's protection. And thirdly, lastly, we've seen the posture of the believer. We've seen the protection of the Lord. Let's look thirdly at the promises of God. The promises of God. Verse 14. Because he holds fast to me. This is, this is God speaking. Okay. You see the quote, the quote, the quotation mark. This is God speaking. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The promises that God has for us just in this 
these three verses here are beautiful. That no matter what comes our way, no matter the troubles and the circumstances, He will deliver us. He will protect us. He will answer us. He will rescue us. He will be with us. Those are amazing promises. And understand this, church. God is a faithful God, a good God, and He keeps His word. So what does this mean for the person who is dying of cancer? This means that God is going to deliver you if you've put your faith and trust in Him. Not from cancer, but from evil and sin and death. For the believer who is dying of cancer, for the believer who is suffering, for the believer who is struggling, our hope is not in what this world may offer, but in what God offers. And I know that can be hard to hear. It can be hard to understand sometimes. Why is it that God will heal some but not others? We don't have that answer. Except for the sheer fact that God's using both instances to glorify Himself. We have to see that. That no matter what happens, God is here to deliver us. I shared the illustration last week of uh, Tony Evans. His wife had died and, and I, I, I caught a little bit of the funeral on Facebook and um, her son had come up and she had been suffering with this illness for so long. His, her son had come up and she shared, she said, she said either Either God was going to heal my mom or God was going to heal my mom. Either God was going to heal my mom of cancer today or he was going to heal my mom of cancer when she walked through those gates of heaven. And that's where our hope lies, church. Our hope lies in the fact that we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. Our hope lies in the fact that God's hold of us is not found on our hold of Him. God's, our hold of God is found on His hold of us. That He will never let us go. Even though at times we're going to try to let go. At times we're trying to squirm. But He will have a firm hold of us. My two-year-old drives me crazy going through a parking lot. The kid will not let me hold his hand. He keeps pulling from it. He does not like holding hands. He's doing well in this pandemic we're struggling with. He does not like holding hands. But when we're going through, through, through a parking lot or something like that, when we don't know what's, what's coming, man, I'm going to have a firm grasp. I'm not going to let him go. I'm not. And he can pull away. He can yell and cry and scream all he wants to. I'm not letting that kid go. In church, that's God. God will never let us go. Ever. So how do we handle this pandemic that we are in? We handle it by trusting in the one who is greater and bigger than anything comes our way. We should not underreact, but we should not overreact. We should trust that God has a purpose and that God has a plan. And we trust in His protection no matter what happens to us. I hope that's encouraging to you this morning.
as it's been encouraging to me this week. The posture of, of the believer is one who dwells in God and draws near to God. We see the protection of the Lord as one who is faithful to us, who will deliver us. And we see the promises of God that He will never leave us, that He will always answer us, that He will always be there. I, I, I think I read in uh, one of my commentaries, or I heard somebody say this past week. <sighs> yeah, I heard somebody say this this past week. That they would rather, they would rather suffer and have the presence of God with them than not suffer and not have the presence of God with them. It's a lot of wisdom there. And I would agree. I would rather have God's presence with me and suffer with whatever comes than not suffer and not have God's presence. Because God is so good and He's so faithful. We're here for you. If there's anything we can do to those who are at risk with this um, coronavirus situation, we are asking you, please stay home. Don't be going out and doing stuff. We are, we should still be cautious. Okay. Uh, don't be shaking hands. All right. Don't be hugging. Um, if you need us to help you out with, 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 with anything, we got college students who are home from school. We've got teenagers who can drive who are home from school. We can get kids to run errands for you. Wouldn't that be amazing? Let us know if we can help you out. And no, we will make sure they don't come into your house. We can have them deliver groceries to your doorstep. There are many ways that we can help. Let us help. Okay? Reach out to us. Um, we're going to continue praying for this situation. We're taking this week by week. We're not sure if we're going to have service next Sunday. But again, we're taking it week by week. Pray for us. Pray for myself, Pastor Leto, and the deacons as we are working on how to handle this week by week. Um, and, and please trust us. I know I'm probably going to receive some criticism no matter what decision we make. Um, but we are definitely working for the safety of you. Okay? Understand that. Um, at this time, we're going to have a time of invitation, but it's going to be through a time of prayer. Um, we do not have a, another song planned. Um, so let's go ahead and stand and pray. Um, and then after that, Leto's going to come up with a few announcements. I'm not going to do my typical stand at the back and shake hands, but I'll stand at the back and I'll, I'll talk to you on, on, on your way out. Don't touch me. Okay. Look, I'm not afraid of getting, of, I'm not afraid of getting sick. I don't want to spread it. Okay. Um, so let's pray. Father God, as we come into this time, Lord, help us. I pray for each and every single per person in this room as we seek to trust in you, no matter what situation comes. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to find refuge in, in you, to draw near to you, to dwell in you, to trust in your promises, to rest in your sovereignty. Help us, God, as we don't know what tomorrow holds. But you are already there. You are already working. Help us to trust that. 
God, I pray that you would help us as the church to continue being the church within our community. Use us in opportunities in which we can serve. We thank you for the opportunity that we still have to come and worship you and glorify you, to sing together and hear your word preached. God, we pray that you would comfort us and strengthen us during this time. We love you. We praise you. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.